can you? I want to hear you say it in a full sentence why you like the straws. Because the straws went up the turtles' noses. Okay. And they're killing machines. I just want to make sure it was very clear okay. to everyone that that is exactly what you're implying. No, I've been watching Our Planet, and they have uh, they feature some turtles, and uh, those things are monsters, and they all deserve <gasps> okay. a touch of death. Let's get on topic. <laughs> this is a good intro. This wasn't the topic. is if classical music based their efforts on the success of the war on drugs. And so instead of the, like, instead of going after the root causes of people not being into classical music, we should have a war on the musically illiterate. The The problem isn't the lack of knowledge, it's the people. So we should just find, find the ones who can't read music and put them away. If you clap in between movements um, three times, you're out and you're banned from every concert hall in the world. <laughs> your name goes on a list yes. with the picture next to it. It's attached to your passport. Just imagine David Geffen Hall having a like having having a jail, having a jail that they <laughs> they take people to. And <laughs> sir, excuse me, sir. Come, come with me. Like we we have a couple questions for you. We affectionately call it the pen. Yeah, no, like like an actual prison that you you, you sit in for the entire concert. Mm. And your, Do they pipe your cavity searched. And they plant drugs on you. <laughs> okay, let's start. That was my intro. <clears throat> that was a good intro. I like that. This week's episode, we're asking who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong in classical music. Spoiler alert. We're the only people doing it right because Bingo. We, we haven't put on a concert in, in three years. Because we, <laughs> we have a podcast. So what it is, is bringing in newer and bigger audiences to classical music and putting on interesting concerts and events. Michael and I split this up. I did Who's Doing It Wrong? And Michael took point on who's doing it right or doing things right i don't endorse either side because i believe there should be a prohibition on all concerts continue (laughs) okay all of them concert abolition (laughs) we're off to the races um just to make things positive i'm gonna start and we're gonna do who's doing things wrong (laughs) affectionately known by spencer as who are the fucks and then we're going to move on to Michael, who's going to give us who's doing things right. Who are the cool fucks? Who are the cool fucks? Who's cool as fuck? Like how, like how people say, like, you're a cool fuck. Dude. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, break that one out of your next mixer. You're a cool fuck, dude. <laughs> hey, girl. Hey, chick bro. You're, you're a, a cool, cool fuck. fuck. <laughs> you're a cool fuck, dude. Let's get started. So I'm going to just go through each of these that I came up with in my research. Fuck number one. Any Pops concert. Or rather, not any Pops concert orchestra. Any orchestra with a separate arm that is a Pops band. For example, Boston Symphony Orchestra and the Boston Pops are the same orchestra with a different name. And one of them wears white ties and one wears black ties. 
And what they're basically saying is, we're going to segregate the audiences because some of these people are too dumb to like everything, and some of them are too snooty to like reorchestrated oh. jazz or mm-hmm. pop music or film scores or any of that stuff. So we're basically saying, or they're basically making a judgment call about who their audience is and what they can handle. Mm, I yeah. would agree with that. I think it should be blended. Now, if you, I, I think if you're just a pops orchestra, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's you know that's what you do. That's cool. And if you're just a symphony, that's cool too. But if you're doing both, that's kind of garbage. Like you should just put on both. Yeah. You should just be your orchestra. You know, the BSO should just do that. Yeah. On the same program, yeah. I would love to hear Shostakovich and Sia on the same evening. Oh yeah. Or you should fully embrace your alter ego band. And like right, they like, can all they can all dress like everyone wear goatees. Yeah. <laughs> Lean into how it's bizarro. Yeah, or dress like <laughs> characters from the movies they're they're doing the film scores. Also, oh, really go nuts with how poppy it is. Well, if the uh, I mean, if the Boston Pops is essentially the BSO's alter ego band, that's what it is. When Green Day will go on tour as uh, I think the Long Shots or the the network, they're different. They're different people. And that's what uh, that's what the Boston Pop should be doing. Because otherwise, it's just insincere and weird. I, yeah. I, I never realized that they were. They I, were the same. I, mean, I thought it was not, two different. I don't think it's yeah. official, but I mean, there I've seen a few videos where it's like, there's a video that BSO Brass does where it's just like, this is the Pops concert. The Pops is the BSO with white ties on, and that's members of the orchestra saying. Like, I think it's mm. a, it's a foregone conclusion that that's the. But also, like, why do we use the word Pops? Like, what does that come from? I mean, it's pop. It's popular music, but it doesn't mean a damn thing to anybody. Why, yeah, why is the S there? Exactly. Like, why? Why are they doing? I think it's supposed to be like popular pieces summed up to pops. Oh, I know, but it's like a ubiquitous name for these kinds of groups. Yeah, I don't really know it's actually so why it's called pops. But in, in in today's world, this is one of the methods of outreach that orchestras and people are using to bring concert music to people. I think that's stupid. That's Will's hot yeah, take. I can agree with that. Yeah, I agree. I, I, mean, I don't think film scores ever need to be played live. Well, that's where I don't agree. I agree that they shouldn't blend the two into a program. That'd be interesting. Watch the movie. They weren't meant to be separated. Oh, I listen to uh, scores. I mean, I watch mm-hmm. the movies on silent, but... <laughs> Do you listen to them on silent? <laughs> you listen to the scores it? on mute? Like The Godfather? Yeah, sometimes I'll put the score on, turn the volume down. Just, totally different. Yeah. You hear things listening to music on silent that you wouldn't hear uh, listening to it uh, where you can hear it. Yeah, like chewing. D- does John Williams conduct the Boston Pops? He used to. Fuck number two. Orchestras that still use the subscription model. So this thing that orchestras orchestras do and companies do and and ensembles is they'll post their whole season and they have something called a subscription where I guess you buy multiple tickets for the whole season. It's not... That's the thing. I don't really see what the benefit is for audiences at all. It's cheaper. Yeah, you get a cut rate. So they just get a season right. pass. Because I think but you also that's, get... The, that's what my point is, is that it's not structured in such a way that it's like having season tickets to the Mets. You, If you could buy... If you'd said, like, I'll pay you $1,500 and I get to go to... I get the same seat at every concert the whole season great that would be really cool but it's not a subscription is or at least the way the new york phil structures it is three concerts 
I think maybe or more or something like that. And then you get their somewhat discounted rate. But that's not the way that people plan their weekends anymore or buy Mm -hmm. tickets to things for performances anyway. Yeah, there's diehard. The reason that works for sports is there are diehard fans and there's always like something on the line that they'll miss out on. This is all in big air quotes if they miss a game. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like subscription concert series are things that maybe older generations pay for kind of like cable. Right. It's out, it's outmoded, I think. I will say that I do know some parents of a friend who have season passes for musicals, like a different different production houses or what do you call it? Different different theater, different venues. And I think you do get the same seats or you get like a very specific section. Cause I think they always have tickets like in the front row. So I think the longer you are a member, you do start getting more benefits. But again, it's only really beneficial if you plan to go to every... Yeah, if you're doing the minimum, separately. which is like three concerts or four concerts, let's say, you don't save that much money, I don't think. And it's, I don't know. It's, just, it's a prestige thing. It's just odd. Like, it doesn't make much sense if it's for, for four things to subscribe. It would be like well, subscribing to Netflix and they say, okay, pick your four movies. Well, they used to. You'd pick your movie, you'd put it in the mail and they get them. I don't know. It just that's seems true. like the word, maybe it's the word subscription that's odd. Yeah. But I just feel like I get, yeah. I, a 30-year-old, get ads from them saying, subscribe today, yeah. young patron. I would I'm never, like, never right. do that. Why? Would, why? <clears throat> I don't no, it's not a subscription as we understand it. Right. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, it's it's just uh, it's buying in bulk. I, I, I want to think that all of, all of Will's gripes just come down to he... He doesn't get to sit in the exact same seat every single time. <laughs> I want 30 double A. It's my seat. I farted <laughs> in it at my first concert. And I marked it. And I've never gotten it since. And I'm salty. That's the only seat that means anything to me. It was the Berlioz Requiem. Here's my idea. Instead of having a subscription model where you have a set of concerts over the course of the whole season and you play the same thing for a week and then don't play it again for five years or however long. What you should do is an orchestra should have a smaller set of pieces that they have for the whole season and they're in a rotation. And so what happens is you have certain like nights of the week that aim typically aim for specific genres. So like let's say Thursdays are... Or uh, let's say Friday is film score night and Saturday is orchestra classics and Tuesday is new music night and Wednesday, you know, whatever. Wednesday is like a wild card. Like, and, and then they have a program on that night that they run for like a month. So Thursday, maybe they trade things out for fun once in a while. I don't know. But like on Thursday... Or orchestra classics night on Saturday for like four Saturdays, they run the same show. But then on different nights, they're still playing different things. And this gives them a more time to get familiar with all those pieces, more rehearsal time ahead of the next set of pieces. And it gives people more chances over a wider period of time to get to go see that thing. I like this a lot. I would pay money for that. Right. But you can't have that happen on like a subscription model because then there's fewer Saturday nights where you know that's the one the like old couples one night where they go out well you'd have four chances 
Right, you'd have four. You'd have four chances in a season to go on a Saturday. And see that specific show. Right, as well, opposed that's to that's more than. Yeah. But you'd also but you'd end, up, you'd end up with more stuff overall. That's my idea. It's kind of like a Netflix podcast model. world. It's yours. It's free. Take it. <laughs> Run with it. What if they just played more shows? What if they just What if they just played how a movie theater will just replay the same movie all day for weeks? Right. What if What if you yeah, what if um, the orchestra had to put on a show at 12, at 1.30, at 3, at 4.30, at 6? And You'd need multiple and orchestras by, doing it. So you have no, no, you definitely keep the same people. And then you can <laughs> so, do a pool uh, as to who, who drops. First. Yeah. With like a marathon? Like a dance marathon? It's, yeah, it's kind of like every day is a marathon. That would, uh, that would be a component to it. You really separate the wheat from the chaff. Fuck number three. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's how it doesn't even make sense at this point. No. The next but one. But it's funny. The next one I'll start naming names. Oh god. I was gonna call it surface level, but I'll just call it dumb outreach. Is the the third way to do things wrong that people are doing things wrong. Okay. This is an excerpt from an article. The article is about a small ensemble who's doing cool things in performing arts, and we'll go. We'll dig in it a little. To prove that it is possible to appeal to a younger audience by breaking these barriers, which is the uh, the organization, has organized a series of wildly successful classical music shows in pubs. Uh, apparently their spokesperson's last name is which is fun to say. It's very fun to say. Um, describes the experience as follows. A 12-instrument orchestra playing a selection of arias and fragments composed by Handel in a pub packed with people under 35. People are standing, sitting on the floor, leaning against the walls, having a drink, enjoying the music, but also the musicians' explanations about what they're playing in a festive atmosphere where the audience is, where the audience is allowed to react freely to what's going on on stage, to laugh, to comment, to move. Okay, that's all great. I mean, we've all we've pitched ideas like that before and done those kinds of things. But there's one detail in it that I have a bit of a problem with. He's setting up this like cool vibe for young people in a pub where they can like hang out and he's playing fucking handle. That is he's playing like the most stereotypical fancy music from movies like stock snooty pants music you can think of in a pub. It sounds like, well, A, it sounds like garbage, but B, Handel's not a great composer. And But C, <laughs> C, you're going to, you're asking for people to come in and be like, oh my God, it was so like high class. It's, it was great. It's such a, it's such a stupid fucking idea. And no, I, we've all had that idea, but we should all be embarrassed by it because. Well, it's what a, if you it's played a, a different kind of music in a pub? I mean, that would be fine, but hand, not fucking baroque I well i don't really lace music i don't i don't i'm not gonna play like, a goddamn dance suite over at a tavern like it's, it's not an interesting idea it's just like the novelty of oh what if we heard this music like in the wrong place wouldn't wouldn't that be interesting yeah let, exactly what if, what if we and what if we put the animatronic bears and you know in a concert hall like wouldn't that be fun <laughs> like and we <laughs> <laughs> what if you could see an opera and buy a, a terrible pizza? Let's get a, that would bring people to the opera. Like it could just as easily be that. So my, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that would be interesting. <clears throat> like, what if we put on an opera in Buffalo Wild Wings? 
I don't have a problem with the concept. I think that I do agree with you that the choice of I just think (laughs) if that's the best idea you've ever had, you are not a creative person. So my problem with it is that, like Will mentioned, that I think you it doesn't work with just any type of music that you just decide you want to put in it because the problem is you're not reconceptualizing the music in any way. You're like you said, Spencer. You're just putting it in a different place. Which I think you need more than that. If you're going to do that, you need to revamp the entire experience. I think that this sets up mm-hmm. that notion that you're hiding the pill in the little piece of meat and you're just trying to get people to digest <laughs> the concert better. And that's setting up, I think, a, I think it's a disservice to the audience and to the So we're treating the audience like invalid dogs. Basically, yeah. you got to give them their heartworm <laughs> medicine. So I just don't understand like why it's presented that way. I think there should be some way to promote the music. I love... I do love the concept of having it like in a pub. But that can't be the only thing. Correct. It's not, I think you need to, sorry. I think you need to, why? Why are you putting it in a pub? Are you choosing music that would have traditionally been held, you know, played in taverns? Are you making this like a whole experience? If you're not, you're just kind of, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're trying to bring the airplane of food into the the audience's mouth. Some other examples of dipshit outreach include, I believe this was... Another generally dumb idea to try and get new audiences. This is where you know they're getting desperate. So I guess maybe we could call point three ensembles who are desperate. Seating the audience on stage with the orchestra. You know, where it sounds like ass. Wait, do you mean in a traditional... uh, Yeah, on the stage. Like, instead, they, they have specialty seats that you can pay more for so that there's an extra... 30 to 40 people on the stage not I, doing a damn thing just dressed however not performing and I would not pay more there. money to just have the entire audience stare at me watching and listening to a show and they said a concert. The, the main point was you're really immersed in the music and you're not looking at the back of the conductor you really see what he's doing not immersed I'd be a nervous wreck that I'm going to fart on stage or something absolutely not yeah no nose picking for two hours never never would I want to sit on stage like that yeah, what if you have to use the bathroom? Or if you get a nosebleed? You just have to run off. Well, why Why is it a problem that you're uh, seeing the back of the conductor? He needs to face the orchestra, or she needs to face the orchestra. The well, they were just, that was one of the points. They were like, oh, yeah. And oh, you, instead they of seeing show. the back of the conductor, you see them at work. Well, I guess if you say it like it's a problem that anyone's ever been concerned about, I mean, yeah, it's like, the, like that's you the offer a solution. method. Like, I can't even think of. <laughs> Don't you hate when your bananas come in that annoying peel? Oh, I guess I do. I guess if there was a like, like some sort of banana banana glory hole, I could just toss it in, and then it comes out like ready to eat. I guess that'd be good. Don't you hate how the the orchestra has to <laughs> tune before they play? We got a solution for you. We don't tune. So, <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna teach. I'm going to teach a class at the new school called um, Reinventing the Orchestra, colon, Rearranging Deck Chairs. Because That's funny. all of these ideas are... That... That's funny, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what all these ideas are. Mm-hmm. They're just, we'll have a regular concert, but like... We'll have it in a bar where the floors are sticky. And that'll be totally different. 
Like, we'll bring people on stage. We'll, instead of telling them to turn their phones off, we'll tell them to turn their phones on. Whoa. You can live tweet the concert. Which brings me, Whoa. that's my He's, next one! <laughs> yes! The Sacramento Philharmonic in 2015 introduced tweet seats. A oh special area of the concert hall where this... you can live tweet and are encouraged to tweet the concert. Oh my god. Now I have encouraged <sighs> audience members to take pictures and post them on Instagram and to tweet. But you can lay into me. That's totally fine. That's not but that's just your that's policy off. on people doing slightly noisy things during the concert. If you're saying these are seats for live tweeting the concert, that's what it's for. No. What no, the hell te- are they going well, to you... live tweet? Te- te- are they institutionalize. Go, oh, strong downbeat. <laughs> well, how do you... Who gets those seats? <laughs> yeah. Hashtag that, coming to the recapitulation. That fermata was long. But wait, how do you how do you get those seats? Like, you'd have to want to do well, that. First, right? you have to be a fucking idiot. For people who are uncontrollably tweeting during concerts, what makes them think that they're holding back until they have a legal seat to do it in? Those people are just tweeting anyway. And why would you just need those specific seats? Who would want that and who's actually signing up for that? Because clearly that was designed by someone who isn't sure of what Twitter is. Well, you know, the millennials, they, they're, they're what, 12 years old? They love tweeting. They just love to tweet and twat and tweet and twoot. <laughs> and they can't stop. They can't get enough of it. You know what they want to do it with? Bach. Some some admin person. I watched who, like, so many like fiscal uh, projection videos for orchestras to find out what people are doing. That's why I just picked a few because so many people are doing singular little things that are dumb. And they're not, they're not even band-aids. Yeah, they're just like... It's not even worth talking about here. It's just like so many groups are doing things that they're like, this is going to fix so many things. We're going to get the young people and we're going to do that by integrating with things that young people like, like music and (laughs) drinks. That's it. We'll have Mm. drinks at the concert. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have a 100% moratorium on that idea. Drinks at the concert? No, well, no, tweeting. Oh, the tweeting. I have a problem, and again, it comes back to the same issue I had with the last one, that it's you're not reconceptualizing the concert. Right. If you were doing something that actively involves something about social media, or you were doing something that playing your orchestra piece feed, for example, or something that's, you're tying it together, then sure. Shameless but again, plug. Shameless plug. Mm. Listen to it, it's great. You can listen to feed now <laughs> on willstackpole.com slash music slash feed. Go there now. <laughs> buy it today every listen he, he'll send you twenty dollars every listen gets zero pairs of bombas socks bombas. <laughs> don't don't piss them off we want them to be sponsors maybe later. i know but i don't have any to send <laughs> so every listen will send zero it bombas send us socks that's a good this is a good time to to break and read some copy from bombas socks they keep your feet really wet <laughs> <laughs> that is disgusting bombas you can't eat them well we just lost a sponsor but, My copy for Casper mattresses is so, <laughs> eerily similar. The last. <laughs> so <clears throat> this category is just people who are trying to solve everything with one stupid fix. Which is all essentially the same fix. And now this is my last one, which isn't the same fix, but it's also possibly the dumbest. And it's the spot where I start naming names. Here we go. So 
the New York Phil, who, first of all, my home team, like, favorite orchestra, because it's like, I treat it like rooting for a sports team. <clears throat> Stupid. But I still, I love them, even though they could do much better. They got a new conductor. His name is Jaap van Zweden, sure. But however, what they did is when this happened, they decided the way that we're going to reach a bigger audience is by making it a big fucking deal. Not that they got a new conductor, but specifically that they got Yap. And they launched this ad campaign that you might have seen on the subway if you live in New York. And there was also some internet ads and all kinds of stuff of this, this burly man, European man. Roaming the streets of New York City, honestly looking quite lost, with his name in bubble text all around him that just said like yap 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 like everybody's talking about him except the one obvious thing that they forgot is nobody's fucking talking about him because nobody really knows who he is outside of a small community in classical music. I didn't know who. I, wait, so I don't even think I saw these ads. So these ads are him walking around the streets of New York in slow motion, kind of looking around the city, and then just his name all shooting across the screen, just his first name, all around him. And it's going yap, 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 yap. So aside from it being the Muppet Martians, it's... Those are yips. Yeah. But that's what I think every time I see it, I think of and they it just looks look. kind of ridiculous, and they made a huge deal about it, like he was a known figure, and he's just kind of—he wasn't. Maybe this is a dumb point. It, no, it's it, not a dumb point. I'm just wondering if that's like more of a, like a marketing misstep. Like who thought I think, that well, was going to be good? That's what my point is. I guess it's like a good sign of what the adeptness of their marketing team, because like, they're saying <clears throat> they're basically banking the publicity of their season on whether or not this person's a recognized name or whether seeing his name will garner excitement from people. Because and his it name didn't. is weird. Yeah. yeah because his name's weird. I didn't quite get what it's supposed to be. Like, but they didn't have that. They just had like this, like ex stormtrooper looking guy. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you've like, seen this ad? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen the ads I've of him seen. walking around the city. They, they look like, they look like what you do in college where you need some headshots. So you just, yeah. you call the one person you think you've seen with like a nice camera and then you just walk around Central Park and they take some pictures and you're like, man, why doesn't it look good? I thought I had a nice camera. I guess I'm ugly. <laughs> I'm, oh shit, I'm ugly. And yeah. then they paid him $2 million a year. And on top of that, the what really makes it is if you know who... Yup is, which is going to bring me into my actual next point, is it's basically like they were advertising more of the same for the next foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. Because it's an older, white, European male conducting the orchestra well, yeah, through that's what... the same shit. Have you seen Chef? Do you know the movie Chef? Watch with with Jon Favreau? Uh, there's a seat, so he plays a chef and he's a gourmet chef and he's very well trained and he has all these great ideas for his restaurant. And so John Favreau comes back from the argument with the owner to his crew. He's like defeated and he goes, okay guys, tonight we're going to run the truffle risotto, lobster mac and cheese, egg. We'll top it off with the lava cake. And he's like reading through like the most stereotypical, like quasi fancy food menu because they've done it a million times. 
And New York Phil has gone from doing lots of new music and all kinds of cool stuff, and they're doing the same shit. What's supposed to be one of the, if not the best, one of the best orchestras in America, they're doing some short opener, a concerto you've already heard a bunch of times, and a symphony. That's why I think they should um, run ads just like, they could start attacking uh, lesser cultural entities. Like, you think you're cultured because you you saw Wicked? You fucking idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Like, cool. You, you, what? you wandered around the Natural History Museum for four hours feeling good about yourself? You, you hog. Like, <laughs> well, the other thing you is, like, they have seen the New York Phil. They unless have you want to be outreach programs, stupid. but they're like, they're. They, they're garbage. Like they have, they introduced something called Free Fridays, which sounds incredible, right? Free. Okay. <laughs> it's just where you don't wear underwear. Awesome. That's, that's yeah, every day. Free Ball Fridays. So uh, Free Fridays are for students under the age of 26. You can go see the Friday concert for free. Sounds great, right? Except uh, when you start digging into... The, it's great for publicity that they're doing this, but it's they in mean, actuality... They means test you, that you have to bring letters of recommendation, you have to be recommended by a city council person. It's free Fridays for students under 26 uh, who are lucky enough to be one of like the first 10 in line because that's how many tickets they have and who can make plans less than three days in advance when those tickets finally open up to go up for grabs to that small crowd of people and sometimes they don't do it (laughs) it's a great program oh yeah (laughs) i did it the first like two times when like nobody knew about it because i guess they like forgot to put the posters up outside of music schools or something or just people got wind of it slower i don't know it just feels like they got a special spot because of the orchestras who were vying for top spots in the u.s like they're doing they're putting in seemingly no effort at doing things at all different or interesting i like them and that's me saying that i think they're great and Mm -hmm. i want them to do well okay i rest my case let the emails flood in i was just assigned with finding people i think no i did it wrong this is to the listeners i just did my best i thought that was michael's gonna take it away and win all of your hearts with doing it right so as opposed to who are the fucks, who are these fine people? Okay, who's doing it right? Did it. So I, I approached mine kind of somewhat similarly to how you did, Will, but I focused on some of the qualities that I think exemplify who I think is doing it right. Should so I you repeat set that? specific standards. So you did this not so, at all in the same way that I did. No, I mean, <laughs> well, you t- how about I put it this way? You've touched on some of the things that I had on my list. Oh, okay. From the opposite side. You're saying, uh-huh. oh, because this was done poorly, where I have these criteria as well. and the, Do our points build on each other? I think they do. We didn't even play I this. know. <sighs> so the I thought of, again, this is completely subjective. There's way more qualities that would make a group successful. But these are the five that I picked that I thought were important. So I have community outreach. Accessibility for new performers and composers, thoughtful programming, evolving concert formats, and diverse participants and styles. Do you agree with these qualities? Do you think these qualities are important or not? I I don't fully, fully agree with the first one, actually. I don't know that it should be community outreach. I think maybe, and I'm approaching this in like the most idealistic way possible. So like 
take what I'm going to say with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. I think it should be maybe new audience outreach for sure. But I agree that part of the problem that we're facing has to do with people being introduced to classical music and concert music and opera and everything who aren't otherwise or at an earlier age. But I think, well, go ahead. We'll talk about it. No, that's a good point. Uh, This is a broad topic because it doesn't necessarily mean just uh, like community service. So maybe audience is a better choice of words. Maybe audience slash community. Sure. So some of these, some of these could be there. They overlap. Like for example, thoughtful programming and evolving concert formats are fairly overlapped. So is diverse participants and styles. I mean, this is by no means like an official ranking system of different organizations. But like, are you talking about like bringing in touring musicians of different styles, or do you mean like featuring players in the ensemble? I'm saying to explore different music from different cultures. I'm talking I about s- oh, okay, gotcha. yeah, gotcha. diversifying. I the, just didn't quite yeah, understand what you meant. Promoting music that may not be as performed as often in the Western. And I'm doing those air quotes too format of concerts Mm -hmm. so an example of a group that i think that's doing well on it that encompasses a few of these is terroir new music are they like do they serve wine yeah Mm. it's the description of the soil topography and climate that they like tastes french i had a really dumb realization like two weeks ago that vineyard is just vineyard it was the same kind of realization where like like three months ago i realized that Rand Paul was named after Ayn Rand. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> is that true? You didn't know that? No, but it makes total sense. Are you that's a real thing? Yeah. I didn't put that together. Oh, that's so gross. <clears throat> so it's called Grape Time Ensemble. What yep. do they do? It's an ensemble where um each of the performers just performs while stomping grapes for the wine. Is that for real? No. So Tarar New Music, I think this kind of falls under the evolving concert formats because their whole way that they engage with the audience, which kind of goes back to the other point, is that they pair a menu with the program. So whenever you go to a concert, you're actually going to a dining experience with... Oh, I've heard of this. It's very, very cool. I would love Mm. to go to one of these concerts. It's in Tampa, and they will pair like a piece... To a type of chefs, music, right? I believe yeah. they do, or they have someone that. That's a cool idea, though. I like it because, again, it's you're synthesizing the experience. You're saying that this thing that we're adding is remarking on the music. Exactly. Yeah, and it's not you're not it's not pandering because the entire experience is going to hear the music with while eating the food that's paired with it. You're not just saying, "Come listen to this concert, and we're gonna, you know, give you Liquor hot dogs you first. <laughs> Hot dogs and liquor. I would do that. That's what's going to be at my wedding reception. I won't be there. I'm not married. I don't have anyone. Thanks for reminding me of my lonely existence. You have a a megaphone to the masses that you can tell them that you're... I'm looking for a boyfriend. Email loudboxnyc at gmail.com. You heard him, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Call us up. (laughs) If If you're looking to date Michael, you can email... Will at Loudbox and I see. He will respond within six to 13 business days. <laughs> six to 13 business All days. All sexual inquiries go to Will. Oh, yeah. Do send pics, though. Anyway, 
So that's a that's an an ensemble that I think is. I think that, yeah, doing you're right. Really that's well. a really cool idea, and it's like it's adding to the performance in a constructive way. Yeah, I mean, I think what a lot of these organizations are worried about is that the music isn't going to carry the entirety of the show, which is silly. It's like there, it, there's no other genre where uh, of performing arts anyway, where we we say the one element has to be not only the focus but the only thing that you are that is you're allowed to sense at the time you could have that i think that if here's here's the thing if if you want the music to be the sole focus that is where you probably would be doing a more traditional format for a concert because you're making that the primary focus if you are incorporating food and music though the 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 primary goal is to present the new music you're adding a new element that has some type of secondary importance and it is combined well with the primary importance of the, the event. I think the example of having the handle at a bar doesn't, that doesn't really heighten the musical experience and the musical experience doesn't really heighten the drinking experience. They kind of right. work if you like to drink and listen to music, which a lot of people do. I love to do that. You already have but, to love handle and Lagunitas. Yeah. There's no, there's no connection other than trying to entice people to go to listen to handle. By putting it in a bar, you would it'd be people in like fact, you said it'll probably like drive people away from the bar. And if you don't understand not classical music, it's it's weird. He's not a good composer. I mean, he's good, but he's, he's, not, he's not good. I should have put a handle on the list last season. The second organization I thought was doing it right, and I wonder if you've heard it because this is this is the New York based one. The home team, <laughs> home team, the exploring the metropolis. Con Ed Residences? Oh, yeah. Con, uh, the it's Con Ed Resi- expo- Residence? Oh, I have heard of it. Exploring the Metropolis Workspace Solutions for NYC's Performing Arts Communities. This is less musical ensemble and more uh, music organization where they're not programming concerts. They are a resource for composers. And I think they also have one for choreographers where you apply... And you get you basically get to work in a dedicated workspace somewhere in the city for free. But part of the part of it is that you also have to partner with another organization. A lot of them, it's a school or some type of like youth organization, and present a program around that organization. So I know sometimes there's uh, youth choirs, and whoever gets that specific residency will write a piece and work with the choir and put on some type of program. So it's basically ways to outreach to different areas of the city, but you're actively getting the composers involved with the groups. No, that's great. They're helping both the music creators and the audiences at the with the same opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, buying tickets for a group to come in and watch a concert at the film. I mean, that's great, but that's not really di- as direct engagement as having a specific composer be in a, re- like, pretty much like a mini residency What's that? No, it's actually, I mean, it goes on for about a year. So I think you're... Yeah, I think they give you the space to do with what you will. And mm-hmm. you just have this, this is one of the projects that you, you're supposed to work on while you're... Yes. Right. And it's a very accessible application process. I think that it's it hits the points of accessibility for new performers and composers as well as community outreach. Yeah, so you do some charity and like in exchange for the residency. That's a great scam. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that, yeah, boils down to that. Do you want to take this down? What? No. No, go for it. <clears throat> no, I think it's great. <laughs> I can't tell if he's being sarcastic or not. I can't tell either. So, the last one 
and I have to, I have to, full disclosure, maybe a little biased because this is an ensemble that I had that I had done a festival festival with for their summer program that they do. But the upside is it gave us all like a very more in depth view of what the group does. So it's the Fifth House Ensemble. Oh. And you probably might have heard me talk about this here and there. If you don't know, they're based in Chicago, but they do things all over. So this one hit a bunch of points. I think it actually might have hit every of the five points for me. Which were what again? Community slash audience outreach, accessibility for new performers and composers, thoughtful programming, which really could be combined with evolving concert formats and then diverse participants and styles. In terms of the community outreach slash audience outreach, part of their mission is to engage younger audience members. While this isn't something that's new, this is groups do this quite frequently, but they do go and have residencies as the ensemble in like elementary schools. We'll do a whole program that is catered to that age group. I haven't been there for one of the residencies, but I was there for the summer program where we got to go with them to a school and it involved the students getting to actually come and have like hands-on time like with the instruments. They did a really amazing exercise where the students could draw, because these are younger kids, they could draw what they wanted the music to sound like and the performers would interpret it, but it was kind of showing, it was basically, it was graphic score notation, but it was amazing to see that you got an instant connection between what you're writing and what they're performing. Even though it's subjective, you're interpreting it, but it doesn't have that barrier of, you know, barrier of not knowing how to do music notation. So you can't write something for a performer. And I thought that the, the, the students went wild over this. They couldn't believe that what they were hearing was something that they wrote. They do very, very diverse and unique concert formats. But again, why I like it is it's not pandery. It's always very well thought out. There's one that they did and I'm, I never got to make to this, but they talked about it. And uh, they it's called the Called Black Violet. And what it is, is they partnered with a graphic a graphic novelist, and the entire event was the graphic novel projected with the score for the graphic novel. They also had like a, a brewing company come out with a type of drink specifically for the event. I don't remember what the name of the, the beer was called. Wow. And that was a part of the event. So they're very good about tying everything together and making just a very unique type of concert. The one I did get to go see that, I, that was in a similar vein was they do what's called journey live and the focus is on video game scores. Yeah. And <clears throat> they perform the score live while it's being played on stage with other people around the country. And they don't know that they're part of a live performance. And they'll, so like you, cause in journey, I never, never played it, but you randomly meet up with other people that are playing elsewhere. So this is happening on the screen and I just thought it was kind of incredible. The people playing at home had no idea that they were just, you know, on screen at a random New York venue concert. They were, it was dynamic, meaning the score was following what was happening in the action. So they actually had to be, it was a very, you had to be very present as the performers. You were playing along something actually happening live. That's very cool. What is Journey? It's a computer game. Oh, so the people playing weren't playing an instrument. They were playing the game. Right. And so they, they weren't there. No, so, they were. So this is what, so there was like one a few, was there, but the other people. yeah. There's a few people oh. on stage. Then you had the ensemble, and the ensemble is basically being cued by the director, who knows what parts of the score are happening while they're playing. But it was done so well that you didn't, you would forget that the score was being played live because they were able to switch and kind of 
adapt to the the actual playing of the game on stage. That to me fell under another example of just creative programming. Whether or not you enjoy video game music or not. I have an idea. We put on a concert where we play some game on Xbox Live and we have a live band and a list of songs and we can request and skip tracks like we were actually playing music on Spotify. <laughs> so you could say no. So, so yeah, we can just next and then they they start playing next. <laughs> That's also kind of in the style of the MTV series Next, where you would have a date come off a bus and you could just say Next. Yeah. It was like original swiping and it was brutal. Tinder It was so terrible, but it was so fun to watch. (laughs) But it was terrible. You'd have someone just walk off the bus and not even say anything and they'd be like, Next. I would have cried. I would have went back on that bus and just like sobbed in the bathroom. The real-time destruction of self-esteem. They're doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good ending. That would be a really good <laughs> Up next, we have Michael sitting down with Fiola Evans. Fiola is a Canadian-Icelandic composer and cellist. She's been featured on the Mata Festival, Ung Nordisk Musik, and the Sonic Festival. Michael and Fiola have a great conversation drilling down on really everything in the new music orbit. They cover a lot of ground, and she goes into a lot of detail about the piece you're going to hear at the end of the episode, so stick around for that. So without further ado, we give you Fiola Evans. Hi, Fiola. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Good. How's everything been? Good. <laughs> I think it was what? Uh, after, no, right after a uh, couple years, of, no, maybe a year or two after graduation, I think. Because we did the Live 45 concert. And then. Yeah, that was in 2015. 2015, sure. 16, 17, 18. Three years. Woo! Yeah. Ooh. Well, four years, right? Wait. Oh, my God. <laughs> did, I mention, did I mention it's morning here? So I get a little bit of an excuse. I'm drinking some coffee. When you moved from New York, did you go to Canada first? Yeah, the, yeah, the first year. Well, I stayed in New York for a year because when you've been a student, you can take, do this work visa thing for a year. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I did that. And then when that ran out, I um, moved back to Canada but that year, I kind of, I did a lot of residencies, so I wasn't in Toronto all that much. I think I was about, like, half there and half elsewhere. Oh, nice. Got year. it. How long did you live in Toronto before you came to New York? I lived there from ages 12 to 19. And so before I moved to New York, I'd been living in Montreal for a while. Oh, okay. So I moved from Montreal to New York, yeah. Oh, nice. I heard Montreal's amazing, and I really want to go. Yeah. It's wonderful. You should go. It's really close to New York, and... Go in the summer or the spring. It's really fun. So just do, yeah, like I've only been to like uh, Toronto and the very touristy parts. So you moved to Toronto and you mentioned that you had these residencies. Can you tell a little bit about those? Like what, what were some of them? What did, where did you go? What did you do? 
Yeah, well, I think it was like 2015 to 2016. I did a residency at Banff. It's really beautiful. It's in the Canadian Rockies, and I kind of that's what I, I heard. Guess I felt like it was a kind of Canadian rite of passage to get to go check it out. So I thought nice, I'm nice. not in school. I'm gonna apply. See if I can. I would totally recommend it. It's like they are really generous and gracious for with artists and give you like an amazing studio to work in and there's all these interesting people working in all kinds of you know there's musicians but then there's like a ton of visual artists and like when we were there mm-hmm. there were people doing like some there was like an indigenous music workshop which was really cool so there's always i don't know they always have different stuff going on and it's a yeah it's a really interesting place there's some work mm-hmm. that came out of that i did when i was there i did a little thing with a painter we did kind of like a performance where I, I played some cello stuff and she did like a, a, where she was painting on those pieces of clear plastic. So she did this thing where she was making a painting and kind of erasing it again and again while I played. It was really cool. So I don't know, so it was stuff like that. And I'm sure there's there's probably been some other longer term collaborations that I maybe don't know about. It. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. definitely a good time. Uh, what else? What are? I mean, you said you did a couple of them. What else did you do besides uh, Banff? Um, I, yeah, I did that, and then I think I was in New York for a bit, just not like living, just visiting. And then I did the longest one I did that year is I I did a residency in Vienna, which was really cool and like oh, very different yes. for me. <laughs> that was like mm-hmm. for two and a half months. And then I did one in Nebraska. <laughs> You got a pretty wide spectrum then of, of the United States going from with New York to Nebraska. I think you yeah. covered a lot there. It was cool. I enjoyed it. I hear it's, yeah, it's supposed to be beautiful out there. Where else have you been? I mean, you've been to New York, Nebraska. Have you gotten to travel any other states? I've been to California a little bit in the past few years. Uh, yeah. I mean, I went on like a road trip with my parents when I was a teenager. So like, I've, you know, I've been to like DC and Virginia, I think. Yeah. And then I did a workshop that was in Toronto. Okay. I think, I think nice. that was it. Yeah. I mean, they sort of added up to around six months. Of... When did you move to Amsterdam, which is uh, where you're at right now? Yeah. Uh, I, I got here in January of this year. Was it for a specific thing or was it just something that you wanted to do? You wanted to move uh, to a different country? Uh, yeah, it was a specific thing. I mean, I've always been kind of curious about the music scene here in Amsterdam and in The Hague. And, you know, there's, a, I don't know, I think in particular, there's like a lot of American composers that seem to have come through here, like Michael Gordon and Julia Wolf studied here for a bit. And Missy oh, Mazzoli did some time in The Hague. And yeah, I don't know. So I just, I was kind of curious to see what was bringing everyone over here. And so I, mm-hmm. I um, got some funding from the Canada Council for the Arts to take lessons with the composer Kate Moore. Do you know her? She's... No, but this is amazing that you to get the the funding to go and you know to do that. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's cool. Definitely a benefit of the Canadian citizenship. Nice. <laughs> no, yeah, she's so I've been taking lessons with her, and I've actually been working on the project that you saw that you presented at Life Forty Five. I've been working on more cello pieces. Oh, um, nice. So you've been yeah. kind of expanding upon that. Yeah, so I've been writing some new material for that. So Kate, Kate is um she's originally from Australia, but she's lived here for maybe like fifteen years, and she mm. so she's quite like established in the Dutch scene, I guess. Okay. <laughs> and uh, she's a cellist composer as well, so that was kind of the the angle that. Oh I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's been really great working with her so far. I loved. I mean, I just loved that piece because I think that. I, I guess it's probably me being biased because I just love theater and just theatrical elements when you have a bunch of different parts to one type of project. So, you know, the visual, the audio and everything. So, but I just really absolutely loved the, that piece that you did. And I think that it's especially why I liked it was because you could very much tell that the music and the video were conceived together. Because I think sometimes, you know, it can be tricky when you put video to music 
is that something that you were always interested in doing? Have you, had you been doing projects like that before that one? Or was that kind of the first one that put you in that direction? So I guess I kind of think it's this sort of cello and electronics project is kind of something I've been working on since around 2012. And so I've kind of just slowly been building a bunch of pieces or songs that are connected to that and um, for that instrumentation, for myself to play mostly. And mm-hmm. the first time I kind of presented any stuff like that, I did actually work with a visual artist in Montreal, Michelle Furlong, and she made a video that went along with the performance. So I guess this was like kind of the second time I did something like that, but this was the first time where I, I, I mean, I, the video in this piece that we're talking about, it's taken from this archival footage of the Reykjavik Folk Dance Society, I think. I think it was recorded in like 1970-something. <laughs> and uh, so I just edited it and cut it up to make this video. The pieces, a lot of them are either using some clips from old re- uh, recordings of Icelandic folk songs, or some, mm-hmm. I, there's like kind of this chanting of epic poetry called Rimur, and I use some recordings from that. And, and then some of the, the movements also use like folk melodies as kind of a melodic inspiration so the whole project is kind of tied up in this kind of yeah sort of things that I vaguely remember from childhood but but had the opportunity to go and explore a little bit deeper in 2014 I spent two months in Iceland kind of researching this stuff and that was where a lot of this stuff comes from where did you where did you find the archival footage like how did you how did you get that yeah, I um, when I was doing that research, I met with this guy who works at the Icelandic Music Museum, and he has there's a a big archive, and he was so generous as to share that footage with me. So, is that kind of where you're seeing your music right now going? That that type of extra musical elements being added to it, or is that is that kind of one project that you're focusing on in, in addition to like other types of concepts? Uh, I guess it's it's kind of one type of project among other projects. The reason I really wanted to come here and, and kind of do this project with Kate or, you know, study with her is that I feel like this cello stuff is really important to me and I really enjoy getting to practice more and to play more <laughs> and, and to record myself. But I feel like in the past few years, it's I have been lucky to be really busy with other things. So it kind of... I didn't feel like I was spending enough time on this project as uh, spending as much time as I wanted to on this project. So this was kind of the reason I came was to kind of dedicate my time to that. I'm super fascinated and in awe of the fact that when, you know, composers are also performers. So they, you know, there's a high level, a high caliber level of writing and performing because that's something that I would, I would love to aspire to one day, you know, to be just a better performer. Do you find that there's a different process for you when you're writing a piece for you versus when you're writing for a different ensemble or a different performer? Or is it pretty much you approach it the same way and then you adapt as a performer to what you wanted the piece to do? It's definitely different. I'm, I think I'm, when I'm writing for myself, I'm much more, I'm much more flexible where I get, I think I, I, a lot of the time with the cello pieces, I'm also kind of, I'm writing in this way that I'm recording myself and layering recordings and then there's often not that much notation involved, and that that's definitely different. When I write for other people, I'm often writing... I mean, I'm writing scores most of the time, so people are, you know, reading notes, pitches, and rhythms and everything. Mm-hmm. And the way I'm writing for myself doesn't... I'll, I'll write, like, sometimes, like, guidelines for myself, but it won't usually be too strict. And I... Especially in performing, I like that the live part is usually... You know, there's boundaries to it, but I, I've, I enjoy that every time I play it, it's just, like, a little bit different. It's kind of an... Not exactly an improvisation, but a, yeah, kind of a 
a flexible thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's been funny because some of the pieces I've written, I have ended up working with other cellists on them. And other cellists, like there's a cellist here, Maya Friedman, who's playing some of these pieces. Or I guess it's, it's one kind of three-part piece. And it's been it's been great to work with her, but it, and and it makes me realize like which aspects of the piece are actually locked for me, and what, like which ones. It kind of makes me pushes me to be a bit more clear about like what are the things that need to exist in the performance part, and which which things are are you know open to interpretation, which has been mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> Do you typically find yourself incorporating a bit of those like flexible areas, even with you know other ensembles, or do you tend to keep things more on the explicit side like it's very specific that's a really cool question for me <laughs> <I'm interested. laughs> that's cool uh yeah actually lately i've been i i never made the connection that but I, I think it is probably something to do with my own playing of my own music is that i've been trying to write these pieces where they're ensemble pieces but i'm kind of like i guess a similar thing i'm like which aspects of this piece matter to me <laughs> which ones are mm. not as important and like i guess i'm trying to find different ways of like yeah, creating a piece that's like has an arc, has a shape, and, and is a thing. It's not. I'm not. I'm not trying to make a a free improv kind of situation. Not that that anything is wrong mm-hmm. with that, but like you know, that's as a composed piece. That's I think something different. But yeah, I've been trying to to make these kind of situations or like systems where there are particular things that happen, and then but then there are other decisions that I'm leaving up to the performers. Do you typically find that you take? concepts or inspiration from pieces with a physical thing or idea that's kind of I don't want to say programmatics but more just kind of like the the impetus for what the piece is about do you find that that's fairly common or do you sometimes do more just abstract pieces that focus on just the specific musical material and not so much any type of outside influence yeah for sure a lot of my pieces are have to do with some kind of concept or some kind of idea I mean I have written things where I kind of just started with like pitches or a rhythm and, and I think worked fine but I, I think my mm-hmm. kind of more instinctual the part of me that gets really excited about a new idea it's usually has to do with something yeah some kind of extra musical thing I don't know if it's just like it's kind of a world building thing where you like have something that starts to define the direction the piece is going in even if it's kind of abstract I find mm-hmm. that that really helps me it gets yeah it gets me like motivated to work on the project <laughs> Are there any other pieces that you had worked on or are working on that specifically sticks out to you as very representative of not just your compositional voice, but, you know, your compositional journey? Like, you know, you did this piece and this was a a big turning point or, you know, or you hit a certain kind of very specific goal or point in your career that you kind of say, hey, yeah, that piece. Awesome. Love it. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the... the sort of connected to what we are talking about before with the kind of uh, performing, performing more flexibly <laughs> or the sort of not, yeah, sort of more loose guidelines in terms of like what I'm trying to communicate through the score. A mm-hmm. uh, piece that I've been, I'm, yeah, quite happy with how it turned out is this piece called Eroding and it's for six instruments and like a chamber ensemble. And that piece basically, there's, I think, 12 sections and there's six different types of material and like everyone has different material at different times and there's no full score. Every player just repeats each cell as much as they want and at whatever, oh, nice. at whatever speed they want. So it's like mm-hmm. the sort of linear progression is all always the same. Like it always goes from A to B to C to D or whatever, but like the way it lines up with the other players is going to be different each time. So it's kind of mm-hmm. the sound, you know, like to mimic the process of erosion, 
And I'm particularly thinking of like a specific place where there's like a river, a glacial river that's been carving a bit deep groove, like a deep canyon in a in a rock in Iceland. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this uh, this river called Krita. So yeah, basically it starts like really full and like really loud and kind of thorny, and then over time it starts to become more and more sparse and kind of you start to hear more interplay between the different melodies but you start to also realize that those sounds were none of them are new like they've all the sound that you hear in the first 10 seconds and then the sound that you hear at the end like it's all the same <laughs> it's all the same material oh. so kind of i like that idea the sort of i, I don't i'm happy i'm happy with how that kind of it mirrors the idea of the the physical process in a way that i'm quite happy with well i think you, you've already kind of covered this you played cello before you started composing correct yeah, yeah. I started playing cello when I was nine, and I did okay. my undergrad in cello performance. Okay. Nice. And then I sort of started composing during my undergrad a little bit, and yeah, so came to it a little bit later. I mean, but still, okay. not, now that I've been doing it for a while, it doesn't seem all that late. <laughs> yeah. At, at the time, I felt super behind. I was like, oh my god. When I moved to New York, yeah, I was I... like, I'm so behind. Everyone's like... 22 <laughs> well no it's interesting that you say that because like we were just having a conversation the other night um about this and we were asking you know when did when did each of us the three the three me will and, and spencer all get into composing and it was surprising because i feel like both will and i started into like you know studying composition academically in our 20s to like mm-hmm. 20 because i thought the same thing when i started grad school I'm like oh my god all these people have got undergrads in composition they've been writing for years i've just kind of been doing it for the last like couple years and i you know i felt the same way but i feel like this kind of seems more common now in contemporary music than ever that i that there's this duality between you know your performance or your you know your your other, your other interest that might springboard you into composition and then it somehow incorporates both which right. i think might be a reason why there's such a vast diversity of new of new music mm-hmm. one thing we talk about a lot in the show is you know the the new music scene and you know, where we see, you know, are, are excited about certain things going and where there are some things that are still, you know, clinging on from the past that kind of just need to go away. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, like, where do you, where, this is kind of a, a broad question, so feel free to take this or answer this, you know, in any way that, that you want. But is, are there certain things about new music that you find extremely exciting or where you are excited to see that it's it's moving towards? Well, I mean, it, there's certainly, I mean, here, I've, Comparing to like older generations, it does seem like there's much more of an acceptance of the fact that we have like a really broad pool of influence. Like it seems to be totally acceptable to be presenting yourself as like, or, you know, participating in in music life as like a composer and like, you know, have your primary influence be like screamo bands or something like that, (laughs) you know, it's, which I think is amazing and like great and just you know, there's this acceptance that you have a broad, broad range of influences, which I think is, yeah, I find that exciting. Yeah, I'd, I mean, I, I'd love to see kind of more, maybe interfacing between different art forms. I know there are people who are definitely doing that, but I, I, I find that really exciting, and I'd love to see more of that. New music is so much more varied than you know, it was when you were writing, and I say, quote, new music when it was older music, you know, like in the classical romantic, you know, there was definitely vast differences between composers, but you see a fairly common and consistent set of qualities with older music. And then when you get to new music, and I'm talking, I mean, even way past like atonality and, you know, serialism, because that was all still pretty close in concept. I feel like 
today's music is going to be so hard to classify and pin down. I think it's probably going to be described as being so radically eclectic. And I, and I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that's an amazing thing yeah. because it, it, there seems to be this convergence of what would be considered classical music. And I, and I'm making air quotes, but no one can see because it's this audio, <laughs> but I'm doing it. And I guess I want to say more commonly popular genres are melding with what we would consider contemporary classical. And mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. Cause you know, I'll hear uh, these you know, full concept albums by different bands that are very structured, like a full, almost like classical new, you know, new music piece. And I just love that that line is getting blurred so much. Is there anything in new music that you think, or any type of uh, current aspect of writing new music that you're hoping is falling a little bit by the wayside or maybe being transitioned away from? I do think it's becoming, I'm, I'm sure you have other people <laughs> on, on that you've, uh, talk to that have brought this up, but it is, I mean, I do feel like I see a lot more, you know, women composers, which is great, but like, it's still, you know, is not equal. And there's still a lot of the big opportunities are going to the same, you know, kinds of people that historically have been going to. Um, and I definitely think it's not a very diverse community, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, in terms of the staging, I guess my pet peeve is I feel like sometimes with programming, I don't know. I don't know if I can generalize like where this is coming from, but I do find that like mm-hmm. I it really I get yeah I'm, when I feel like programming is kind of lazy or 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 hasn't been considered that kind of irks me. I feel like there's a lot of sometimes people are like oh this stuff is all new, but that's like as far as the like that's why all these pieces are on a concert together. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. else connecting them, or there's not no other thread or overall presentation. And I think that. I find that kind of frustrating and and to take that further I I guess I've been sometimes in situations where like I don't know that new music should always be put with classical music like I don't really think those audiences are that similar and I've mm-hmm. definitely been in situations like where my music has been on a you know like a recital of chamber music and uh, where my piece is the only new piece and like that's I mean it's really fun to get to work with those players and they're amazing and like and you know and I, I think often I do end up meeting some people who normally wouldn't check my music out but it is um i don't know if it's always the right thing it's not like it's a thing where you're like I, I don't think we need to be trying to convince people who love brahms that they should also love listening to our music that is a, such a great point you make such a great point about that i mean I, we actually i think we kind of in one of our episodes in one of our discussions i think someone had brought this up when we, when we touched yeah. on it a little bit but it, it's very it is Definitely very not true. my idea i just I can't remember who i'm stealing it from <laughs> <laughs> no no it's your idea no one knows no. You can say- <laughs> No, that's but I think that's a really poignant point because it is kind of related to what you're saying about the programming. Something that we do talk about, you know, we touch on from time to time on the show is that sometimes even even when it's well intentioned that new music gets treated a little bit like a novelty in some aspects. Right. So the fact like when you're just saying because it's new music and it's getting programmed, I mean that's great that it's getting played and it, right. it should get played, but when it's kind of more of nothing more than the the surface level of oh well it's a, it's a new music piece, it's kind of being treated as yeah, we'll throw it on this classical concert with everything else that is the you know the meat of the program and then we're going to the show that we're being, you know, progressive, we're going to add on a, a new piece of music. So it's, it's a double-edged sword because I feel like it's great that it's getting the opportunities to be heard, but I do agree with you completely that I think that the programming is not always very thought out or it's there, it's not treated with the same delicacy as programming a series of older or more classical pieces. So I think that's a, that's a very good point you're making. And I, mean, I, th- I think there are definitely ways of integrating those two, you know, that there's way, there's a way to include a contemporary piece on a classical program. 
I guess I just do get frustrated because sometimes I feel like it lacks some creativity. And then, you know, because, you know, people put so much work into the preparing the concert and everything. Like, it's a ton of work to present something. And I think that's something that I think should get a lot of attention and should get a lot of thought put into, you know. And it, especially when you mentioned, I think you brought up a good point about having the audience perception play a factor into it. So, you know, we, it is good to have new music exposed to audience as much as possible. But I think your point about the way it's being presented could be done maybe a little bit better. So in terms of, yeah, if you have an audience that the whole program is maybe one type of thing and, it, and the connection that you make with the new music in it, like you said, it could be done. But if you're not framing it in a way that the audience is maybe able to to grasp, they may just be thinking, oh, well, I'm listening to these classical pieces and then the other things are just kind of there as, you know, interspersed between it, but they're not like really perceiving the whole evening as one set of music, possibly. I'm also curious about like, you know, same thing. There are people definitely working on this, but like more attention paid to like the presentation of, I don't know, but like a little bit maybe more, more staging or, uh, mm-hmm. or just like maybe like a kind of a different etiquette in terms of performance. I don't know. I'm curious about it. I think that's really interesting. And I feel like there's a kind of, in some more traditional worlds there's a kind of just acceptance that this is set in stone just like the way we run a concert like Mm -hmm. you know we get up on stage we bow people clap we you know it's like yeah i just it was we uh, that's something that i'm curious about personally as well um not everything has to be like a totally innovative crazy you know groundbreaking thing but I know there's this festival in Hudson called Drone Fest, a 24-hour drone. That's really interesting to me. It's kind of like I Ooh. they did one in Winnipeg that I got to play at, and then it's just you people play for 12 hours and just sets kind of overlap and people, yeah, but you know the drone keeps going oh. for 12 hours and people nap oh, and seriously? chill and yeah, and that's I mean not that that is like the ultimate concert experience and every concert should be like that, but I think that kind of the vibe matches the kind of music and I think it sort of it, it, it creates the a type of attention, like the, the environment creates a kind of attention, allows you to pay attention to the music in a way I think, I think suits that kind of music to sort of like drift yeah. in and out. And so, yeah. But then, I mean, then there are, you know, ways of paying attention that like, you know, there's music that should be like really, you should be like super focused and you need to just like be in an environment where you can't like be distracted by anything else and like that. Mm-hmm. I know, that's a cool, I think that's a cool experience too. I guess, I guess maybe what I'm hoping for is like, I feel like maybe the the theater and, and dance world is maybe a little bit more aware of this than the music world. If that if that's gonna be a generalization that I'm gonna mm-hmm. make, and maybe I'm just hoping, yeah, I'm curious about bringing that kind of focus yeah. too. That seems tied into with your uh, programming com- uh, common in a way, in that maybe more thought going into the way that the concert and music is presented, you know, not just a blanket form, but maybe it's adapting to what the music is similar to like the programming um, could be useful. Yeah. So maybe it's, it's, maybe those are actually, you know, super related. To touch a little bit back on cello performance, do you also do a lot of performing outside of, of writing in terms of not just your, your own music, but performing other people's music or performing in different ensembles? Uh, not, not so much these days. I, I mean, certainly when I was younger, I was doing that and I sometimes play pieces that like friends of mine have written, but, uh, recently I'm not really doing that so much the past couple of years. I've, I've done like, yeah, like after I played cello for this kind of pop singer, Lydia Ainsworth, and I like toured with her a bit after I was in New York. I also played sometimes with this group called Bing and Ruth and which was really fun. But yeah, the I guess the past few years, because I've been partially, I'm just I've been busier writing and so not really playing as much. And also just I mean, the kind of I draw back and being a little bit itinerant is that you kind of don't build those kind of 
relationships in the same way. <laughs> like you can't be mm-hmm. like someone's jealous if you're never in town. <laughs> <laughs> do, a, do a FaceTime. Right, right. <laughs> Did you teach before or are you, are you currently teaching? Well, when I was at Yale, I taught composition to undergrad students and I've taught cello a little bit. But that was more, more I, I had some cello students when I lived in Montreal, but that was, that seems like a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do, I do some teaching sometimes. No, wait, so that's right. You say at Yale after NYU. What did you, oh, that's amazing. Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, like, did you, was it another master's in composition? Yeah. What did you, how was that? <laughs> what was the, what was the biggest difference between like your experience studying at NYU and then going to Yale? Like, is it, was it radically different or did you find it to be, you know, somewhat similar in terms of what the goal of the program was? Yeah, I mean, I think a thing I like about studying composition is every time you work with a different musician or a different composer, I feel like the experience is kind of different. So it's like, you know, I studied with Julie at NYU, and then I studied with a bunch of people at Yale, and like each one of them, like I spent like a semester with a different teacher. So, you know, each semester felt quite different in terms of that. So mm-hmm. that, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, probably the biggest difference, I think, is that the school of music at Yale is like it's kind of like a conservatory like there's like a really uh intense performance program and like people are really you know you're taking your classes with all these other performers uh mm-hmm. not other with all the performers and uh I think NYU was a little bit more you felt like you were more part of maybe the com- composers felt that a little bit more separate at NYU I don't know maybe it's just because of like the mm-hmm. physical geography I felt felt like when I was at NYU my life had more to do with the music that was happening in the city and not all, always with the stuff that was happening in the school. And I feel like at Yale, mm-hmm. partially because of its location, more of the musical life is kind of connected to academic stuff or like the things that are happening in the school. Did you did you also <laughs> do any type of cello, like studying cello performance anymore? Is it more, were you just uh, continuing to play and when you were there? Did you focus on that aspect as well, like writing for yourself when you were at Yale? I, I meant to, but I, honestly, that's part of the reason I'm doing this now is because I, I, I basically didn't have time to do that (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I didn't I had yeah I I, did I end up writing any pieces for me I don't think I I think I wrote one when I was there I wrote one piece for cello but uh yeah I didn't take lessons or anything like that Mm -hmm. on cello I did take jazz piano lessons (laughs) oh nice how was that that's awesome really bad at it it was fun though (laughs) no I'm sure that sounds fun do you play piano (laughs) I play I mean I uh I passably play piano but I've always wished I could play jazz piano like I played jazz piano in undergrad and by that I mean they they needed a piano last minute and they settled for me over nothing so (laughs) (laughs) I had that experience but I wouldn't say I'm a jazz pianist So do you have any projects coming up or anything like on the horizon that you're, that you're excited about or anything that you basically, what, yeah, what's on the horizon for you? Well, I'm trying in the next few weeks to finish this project and then writing a piece for Party of One, which is a guitar and percussion duo based in New York. Oh, yeah. Nice. They're really great. Um, Liz Foray, Liz Four. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like... Foray, like the composer, but yeah, I think she goes by Liz Four, and Jess Sang is the percussionist. Um, so nice. The next piece I'm going to be writing this summer. When are those? What's the 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 tentative date that those are being performed? You know, or, or time? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm assuming the fall sometime. Well, definitely keep us posted too. Like if you know when you find out when it's coming out, because we we like to post our guests' events and, and things that are coming up, so anyone that's like reading or listening can yeah. can also you know cool. hear about it as well. So that's that's exciting. I 
I'm really excited to hear more of your, your stuff, especially after knowing how much I, I loved the music that you had done when, when I, when you were physically in New York, are you, do you plan to be coming back to New York? I mean, imagine you'll be coming back to the performances, but are you, are you thinking of coming back to New York at any point or what's, what's next on your, your traveling adventures? <laughs> I'm actually moving back to New York. Nice. Yeah. In September. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> then that's awesome. Cause I, then I'll definitely yeah, have to come check out a concert and we'll, we'll all come and, Yeah. And I'm see, excited so. to see your stuff. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited that we got you uh, got a chance to sit down with you and, and talk to them, especially with the distance and everything. And, and so thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, Thanks for yeah, listening to this me has been... talk about nonsense for whatever. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. This is one of my favorite parts is, is talking with other, especially when it's composers that I haven't talked to in a while. Cause it's great. One, just to catch up and mm. two, I love talking and three, I just love hearing what everyone's been up to. And just, it's just a, a great experience to see the the differences between all the the guests that we have on here and what they're doing, and again, it kind of goes back to your your point about just the the vast diversity in new music, and we definitely are are seeing a lot of that, you know, just from the different conversations we're having with our guests. So we're looking we're looking forward to it too. So, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, thank you so much, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll be hopefully checking out some of your stuff in the fall, awesome. and we'll I'm sure get to catch up again soon. Yeah, thanks so all much right. for having me. All right, <laughs> thanks for being on. Take care. Viola, that was great. Thank you so much for coming on. You are welcome back anytime. If you're interested in more of her work, you can go to FiolaEvans.com. As for Adagio for Things, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon. It takes a lot to produce these episodes, so any help with that is greatly appreciated. All right, with that all being said, we give you Eroding by Fiola Evans. Thank you.